going on, New City Edgerton? <clears throat> if I haven't gotten to meet you yet, my name is Ben White. I am the campus pastor resident here, um, which basically means I'm a campus pastor in training. So it's about a, a six six month process where I'm learning to to steward and teach and shepherd y'all well. Um, because at the end of the day, it's not about how good of a sermon I can give if your hearts aren't taken care of. Uh, we've been in this series, this is week six, of, of Who is This Jesus? And last week, Jonathan Bissett came in on Mother's Day, and, and dude, he gave an amazing message on the one who forgives. Uh, and, he, and he talked about, um, man, the, the, the paralyzed man who, who had to have his friends come and drop him down into this house so that he could be healed. And today, we are talking about Jesus being the friend of sinners and the hope of their salvation. Uh, and, and real quick, uh, before we get too far into it, uh, if you're interested in, in actually going and being a part of or in, in seeing all the historical things that, that happened in the Bible, Matt Miller, our, our lead pastor, is doing an Israel trip. Um, late June, and, and he'd love to have you there. You can find the uh, find the actual events there on the app. So there is a common theme. If if you have the app, you won't miss out. Uh, but we're we're going to be in Mark two thirteen today. And it, uh, if you have Bibles, you're more welcome to turn there. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen. And it says, "He went out again. He being Jesus beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them." And as he passed by, he saw Levi, or Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And he reclined at table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so I, I want to give us a, a little historical context first. Um, tax collectors were despised, like heavily despised in their culture. Uh, it's kind of like now, first service I used the, um, the illustration of the DMV and how everybody dreads going to the DMV. Really, it's kind of any government agency, anybody <laughs> that has to go to get something done with the government. It's a, it's a grueling process, which should only take five minutes in our heads, takes four hours, and there's a line for like three hours just to get in. But, but we don't like it. <laughs> and in response, whenever we hear that somebody works with the government, unless it's like some kind of cool FBI secret undercover job, we don't really like talking to them. And so tax collectors, the same way, were despised as traitors and extortioners. And when a Jew entered the custom, the custom service for Rome, they were regarded as an outcast from society. So they were, they were considered worse than, than the lepers. They were considered worse than the paralytics. They had their own little outcast whatever in the Roman, the Roman world. They were disqualified as a judge and witness in court sessions, so they couldn't do anything judicious. They couldn't be a part of the law. 
They were excommunicated from the synagogue. They couldn't go to church. And in the eyes of the community, their disgrace extended to their family. They could not even be with their own family after they went into the custom service with Rome. And so later on in The Chosen, if you watched it, you kind of see this balance of Matthew trying to reconcile things with his family. And his family, his mom is like, she's like, I don't know what to do because that's my son, but you're also, culture tells me I can't talk to you. And his dad pretends like he doesn't have a son at all. And so this is where we find Matthew as Jesus calls him. Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, was sitting at his tax booth when Jesus said, hey, follow me. Jesus didn't put any, any conditions on the following. Say, hey, I know you're a tax collector. The Pharisees would like to see you do a guilt offering to make you right in relationship with God. Your other friends would like to see you go to church so that they at least know you still believe in God instead of just following all the Roman gods. Jesus just says, follow me. And then he has the audacity to go and recline at table in Matthew's house. And so eating at the same table as someone else is a sign of friendship and relationship. Nobody that I know of will go and seek out somebody they don't like or that they hate and will invite them to a meal with them. It doesn't happen. I've never heard of it. The, the only people that get access to mine and Hannah's homes are the friends, the people we invite in, and our family, our relationships. Right? And, and the Pharisees were indignant because of this. And, and Pharisees were... Jonathan talked about last week how the Pharisees believed in a Messiah, but, but their preconceived notions were that the Messiah was going to bring back the Davidic kingdom and that he was going to set everything right, but he wasn't going to associate with anybody that wasn't a Pharisee. The word Pharisee actually means separated. And they separated themselves from everything they thought was unholy. And unfortunately, that meant they segregated themselves, and it was the Pharisees, kind of like the upper class, and everybody else. And they thought everyone except themselves were separated from God. So they've got this preconceived notion of, like, man, nobody else can be in relationship with God except for us. And Jesus, claiming that he is the Son of Man, comes and invites tax collectors and sinners, the unholiest of holy people, to be in relationship with them. He calls Matthew, who is a traitor to his own people, and he calls Judas, who actually ended up betraying him, into relationship with himself. He wanted to be friends with them. He chose to be friends with them. And, and so I, I want to dive into this, this explanation of what it means to be a friend. And so I've got five points for you, but I, I want you to think about who your best friend is. And so my best friend is this guy, Cole. Cole doesn't know I'm putting his face all over our social media and YouTube and everything like that, so I'm sorry, buddy. But I wanted to take some time to brag about Cole. Because Cole, as my best friend, has access to everything that I do in my life. 
Cole will uphold. He will sacrifice. He will love me through anything. Right? He's my best friend, but he's not a perfect friend. I don't think anybody can have a perfect friend unless you are in friendship with Jesus. But I want to take some time to actually look at what a best or perfect friend looks like. And so first off, friends are loving. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. It doesn't matter what you're going through, your friend's got your back. Your homie's got your back. It doesn't matter what the problem is, what you've gotten yourself into, what you unknowingly walked into, or what you knowingly walked into, they will be there to have your side no matter what. The second thing is this, is friends are sacrificial. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so what, is it, what does it mean to sacrifice? I, I, I found that there are, there are three main ways that we can sacrifice that when messed with, they really mess with our tempo. And so we can sacrifice sleep, we can sacrifice our wallet, and we can sacrifice our time. And these three things, whenever you ask somebody to sacrifice on one of these three things, they typically get a little angsty and they get a little aggressive because that's, that's their stuff. That's the, that's the few simple things that I can control, my sleep, my time, and my wallet. And yet Jesus, man, he stayed up with the disciples when they needed to talk. He walked, he slept, he went and prayed, and he stayed with them. He sacrificed Sleep for the disciples. Jesus also sacrificed his wallet. He had no earthly possessions to give. He had all the heavenly stuff and everything was provided for, and yet he still made sure that all of his friends were provided for. And he also sacrificed his time. Jesus didn't have to take out time in his day to eat at Matthew's house. It was probably the best meal he was going to get around. But he didn't have to do that. And man, in my own life, when when people ask me to pray for stuff, and this is a simple thing, guys. Man, the the sleep, the time, the the wallet, like when people ask you to pray for things, are you one of those people that will actually take the time, set aside ten minutes, and just pray? Or are you like me when say, hey, so so and so needs prayer? I'm like, yeah, I'll pray for that. I'm like, Dear God, I pray for healing for this person, and then five seconds later, I'm I'm back to doing what I'm doing. And I, and I can't seem to sacrifice the time. Friends are sacrificial. Thirdly, friends can be family. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We're going to learn later in Mark about how Jesus' own brothers and family didn't believe he was the Christ. And yet some random group of strangers that he asked to follow him were totally 100% convinced that he was. I mean, you grow up with that one. I'm, I'm going to pick on Paula and Mitch. because. So if you ask Paula and Mitch who their favorite kid is in the family, they'll say, not Michael. They'll say, they'll say they don't have a favorite kid in the family. But if you ask any of their other kids who the favorite kid in the family is, they'll say, Carter. 
and it's just because Carter is the baby, or uh, but Jesus was probably the favorite in his family. He did no wrong. He didn't disrespect his parents. He didn't argue with them. He didn't fight with them. He, he was literally perfect, and I can't imagine being a brother of Jesus, seeing how he was never corrected or disciplined his entire life, and then he claims to be the Messiah and being like, nah, bro, you're crazy. But that's what they did. His brothers completely rejected him, and yet 12 strangers who had known him only three years believed he was the Messiah. Fourthly, friends hold us accountable. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds or the corrections of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds or the corrections. Guys, sometimes being corrected sucks. I, I'm, I don't like it. I pray that it never happens, but sometimes it does, and a lot of times it sucks. But when it's done the right way with a friend, right, my buddy Cole will hold me accountable for what I do, say, and how I act. There's no, there's no, there, there might be some lenience of like, oh, you probably just didn't know any better, but he knows me well enough to be like, hey, you knew better, this is the standard, right? And if you don't have friends holding you accountable to a standard, man, you're walking around blind. You're walking around thinking you can do no wrong, have done no wrong, and will do no wrong. And that correction piece hurts because it calls us to that standard and it shows us where we failed. But on the flip side of that, man, if we just have, like, like the, the last half I'm going to translate it to, people blowing smoke. They make you feel good. They want you to stay ignorant or arrogant or prideful. They don't really care about your heart. A friend cares about your heart. And lastly, friends are chosen. John 15, 15 through 16 says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the Father is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Friends are chosen. I didn't have to choose Cole as my best friend. I didn't have to choose Hannah as my wife. I didn't have to choose Asa as my son's name. I didn't even have to choose to have a bagel for breakfast this morning. Our choices and the way we choose our friends changes the entire outcome of our life. In, in, the, in the clip from The Chosen, one of the, one of the people reclining at table makes a joke that says Matthew is so much more pleasant and handsome now that he's not hiding behind bars. Right? And it's, it's kind of silly to think about, but if Matthew had never said, follow me, or if, if Jesus had never asked Matthew to follow him and Matthew had not chosen to rise and follow, we would be hearing about how Max decided to follow Jesus. And we'd have the Gospel of Max instead of the Gospel of Matthew. Max isn't really a good Hebrew name, but it's all I could think of. We have a choice. 
And so, and, and, and it's, it's hard sometimes because Jesus knew and knows exactly who he is asking him to follow him. He knows all the junk in my life, and he still asked me to follow. He knows all the junk in Hannah's life, and he still asked her to follow him. But he doesn't make us. It's an unconditional act. Take it or leave it. I'd like you to follow me. And and Jesus is asking everybody, and it's a daily thing, guys, right? Because the flesh is waging a war against us. It's a daily thing to choose to follow Christ. But just like Matthew, if we do, we have the hope of our salvation restored. You see, because Matthew decided to follow Jesus, he now had a relationship with the one and only Savior. Because Matthew decided to follow Jesus, he now had a community of friends that he had never had before. Because Matthew decided to follow Jesus, he could make things right with his parents. But it's a decision. Right? And we all have the choice. And it's not enough to know that the choice is just there. Like, when I asked Hannah to marry me, I said, hey, will you choose me as your husband? She could have just remained silent. And that would have been the most awkward thing that could have ever happened anywhere. She had a choice. She said, no, heck no, I ain't marrying you. Or heck yeah, I'm going to marry you, right? And that's the exact relationship that Jesus is asking us into because it's not enough that I know Hannah and I know she's the greatest human being ever if I don't have a relationship with her. It's not enough to know Jesus and know that he saves people and know that he heals us from our sins and knows that he heals the brokenhearted and forgives us if I don't have a relationship with him. It's not enough to know that Daniel is just an excellent keys player. Or that he has three amazing children who all have way better gifts and talents than I could ever dream of. Or that he has an amazing wife who is the most sacrificial person. It's not enough to just know unless there's an actual relationship there. And in the same way that we choose our friends and we choose our kids and we choose our kids' friends, we have to choose And so if it's not Jesus that we're choosing, we're asking something else to save us. Or we're choosing something else to save us. But just as Jesus went and sought out the worst people, tax collectors and sinners, the unholiest of holies, and offered them the chance to come back into relationship, who are we seeking to give that invitation to. Earlier this year, we went through a four-week series called E3, Equipping Everyone to Evangelize. We have the tools. We have the know-how. Where, where do we draw the line, though? Is it just our friends from work and we hope they're all saved? Is it just our family? And sometimes, dude, I want to see my family go to, go to heaven. All I can do is invite. They have to make that choice. But where do we draw the line? Are we willing to go out and choose sinners, the worst of the worst? Or do we want to stay in our safe, chosen bubble, 
knowing that everyone we know has chosen Christ. So let me pray, and then the worship team is going to come back up and lead us in one last song. Dad, I thank you. Uh, Man, I just thank you for choosing us, (laughs) for choosing me. You didn't have to choose me, but you wanted me. You didn't have to choose the worst people in the Bible to make the best examples of of what your redemptive power can do, but you did. And so, God, I, I pray that if they're if if you're knocking on anybody's heart, saying, "Hey, come, come, follow me," that they would, that they'd open up and say, "Yeah, Jesus, come on in." And God, if you're encouraging anybody to go out and choose and and, and invite somebody to be in relationship with you, God, I pray that they would act on that. That we would be willing to sacrifice the time for our friends. God, we love you and we thank you.